Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We're so grateful that you're here with us today. Today, we are talking to Preston Smiles. So Preston is all the things. He's a coach, he's a speaker, author, podcaster, content creator, father, husband. Am I missing anything today? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. What else? I, You can hear my excitement as Preston was coming on in this episode. He's someone whose work I've just really resonated with and respected for a long time. I think there's so much that is so in alignment with so many of the themes of what we talk about and the way that he holds things. And I don't know, I just really respect his perspective on relationships and how we hold them in the context of um, our deeper work that we're doing on ourselves and how we take a lot of personal responsibility. And so many of the themes that we got into with him were just like, I don't know, such a great conversation. Yeah, I didn't actually know too much about him until you turned me on to his work. And I love when we find especially these men that come on that mm. are in this space that are really kind of doing the work of, like you said, personal responsibility. It feels very much like it's not us versus them. It's very mm -hmm. like, let's come to the table and have this conversation together. Like, how can both parties in relationships both own their 100%? Um, and how can you use the relational work as the mirror for that continued evolution of self, right? Which I think he speaks to so beautifully in all of the stuff that he talks about, right? It's like using, it's what I always talk about. It's like, we need relationships. Now, I'm not saying we need romantic relationships, but we need relationships. Like they are our mirror, right? It is how we grow. You know, you and I always jokingly say it's like taking it out on the ship, taking it on the road, Right. You can make the album in the studio and then you got to take it on the road and taking it on the road is usually the relational work. And I think he just speaks to that stuff so beautifully. Yeah, he's one of the I don't want to say the few men, because I think that there are men who are doing it. But there's a really graceful way that he challenges and invites women into the space of personal responsibility mm -hmm. that I don't hear a lot of men speak to. And I've certainly mm -hmm. felt challenged by his content and, um, you know, just had my eyes open to some blind spots that I've had. And so I think that it's really important for us as women as well to have men inviting us into the conversation about some of the things that we might not be aware of. Cause I think sometimes we ladies can mm -hmm. a little bit be on our pedestal of like, you know, here's where the men need to meet us and here's what they don't understand. And we're not mm -hmm. always doing some of that work for ourselves in a way that I think is really important for us to do as well. Yeah, I love that. Graceful. Graceful is a really amazing word for him. Um, Heart-centered, right? Very heart-centered. Yeah. So before we get into it, should we do our couple reminders? Yeah. Well, so because so many of you requested that we host one more um, of our week-long retreats that we got, we did our annual one this January and um, we have another one coming up. So we're super excited to let you guys know that June 3rd through 10th, we're going to be in Nosara, Costa Rica, and we're going to be leading another week-long immersive retreat with two of our dear friends and colleagues this time, Millie Murillo and Ashley Torrent. And the four of us are going to be drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychology, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, all the group processing, and we will be supporting you in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. So if you're interested in learning more about it, you can go to the link in either of our social media bios or to Vanessa's website, vanessabennett.com, and payment plans are also available for this one. Yeah. So email me if you have questions about that and we will work it out. Also remember always, always to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen most on, as well as to give us a five-star rating and review, please. And thank you. It really supports the <laughs> podcast in reaching more people because, you know, as I always say, algorithms also share this episode with a friend if it resonates with you because word of mouth is still the best way to discover something new. 
So let's get to our conversation with Preston. Preston Smiles, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit late to the party because I know that you have been creating content and spreading your word and you know supporting others uh, for a while now. I've been a little bit on a YouTube rabbit hole with like some of your older content, and I just I really appreciate um, what you're putting out into the world and the way that you're supporting others. So thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you here with us. Absolutely. That, I appreciate that. Thank you for, for going back. It's been a long time. I've been, I've been in this space when it wasn't popular, when nobody, mm -hmm. like it was like, it was like that big yeah. and the internet was just starting to like pulsate in that way. And so there was no influencers. There was nothing, nothing like it is right now. And I was doing it for free out of just because I had to. Yeah. Right. And so thank you for, for recognizing that. Yeah. Yeah, you sound like my partner. He's always like, you don't understand what I, in my day, I was on Tumblr, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm always like, all right, old man, sit down. Like, <laughs> yes. yes. Always. <laughs> um, well, Preston, what we would love to hear from you, we always kind of have people take it back, right? We're always curious to know, like, where did you come from? Like, how did you get to be in the place that you're in right now? Like, a little bit of your journey, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so many layers and levels to it. I'm 42 years young. Um, and when, when we really start peeling the layers, it's like I'm 102, right? Mm -hmm. There's, I, I've been gifted um, by the universe with some of the biggest, darkest, ugliest wounds that you can have in this, in this lifetime. And because of that, I, the, the well runs deep. So I'll just start with one of the biggest things that I'm still grappling with is the self-concept about me and my intelligence. And that is because uh, at a very early age, I was placed in special education. Um, and before that even happened, my mom and dad used to argue about whether I was, um, and this is 1983, right? Mm -hmm. So this is when they used the word retarded, right? Mm -hmm. So they used to argue whether I was that. And by the time I was in first grade, they took me out and put me in special education classes. Well, that was second grade. Um, and it was so jarring for me because they didn't explain that I tested off the charts um, in certain areas and really, really low in others. And they didn't know I was dyslexic and they didn't understand mm -hmm. that there are different ways that people learn and interpersonal skills and all of that kind of stuff. And so long story short, uh, I made up a story about myself that followed me through most of my life, um, including I graduated high school in special education. Um, by the time I was like 11, I had uh, joined like a little mini gang and started smoking weed. And I just didn't believe that the stuff that was possible for other people was possible for me because I had such a, um, an inner wound and my adaptive child began to overcompensate by being the most amazing people pleasing little boy you could find. And so I had no needs, no needs at all. Everybody, when they talk, Preston was the sweetest kid, right? It's because I was compensating for the idea that I was stupid. So I'll start there. There are so many other layers, including a heart condition at 25, which is what got me in this work. Um, but that came from stress. And that stress came from a uh, father who still battled with his drug abuse and things of that nature. So I got I got layers in here. <laughs> I love, though, to hear you talk about your wounds as essentially, I mean, I've heard you say this in multiple you know, forums, too. Like your wounds are essentially your catalyst, right? Like your wounds are are the reason why. I mean, they're, we can look at them almost as like, as painful as they are, as like the beautiful folds, I suppose, in your life. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 
I also really appreciate you speaking to the different ways that we learn and how sometimes mm-hmm. our educational systems and structures as they are really miss that. I feel like that was very much my experience. It wasn't until like I went back to school later that I was like, I have always thought I wasn't very smart. And some of it is that like emotional intelligence and different types of things weren't really valued in the school systems I went to. And I have a five-year-old as we were talking about right before we got on. And I think I'm watching the school system sort of like attempting to do some of what I experienced. And I'm like, hold up, like, we're not doing that. Because I think that a lot of times we miss how many different forms of brilliance there are and um, think that something should be in a box and be able to be tested. And we really aren't fully seeing people and what their capabilities are. So thank you for speaking to that. That's really Mm -hmm. important. It's really big. And I think it's a part of like the I'd say that from in my experience in the work that I've been doing for, you know, since 2006, the one thing that pervades almost everything is this deep level of shame that so many people have. And, you know, there are four aspects of what it means to be human. In my opinion, we are biological beings. We are linguistic beings. We are social and historical beings and we are quantum beings. Well, the social and historical part is so big. Hmm. And, you know, at an early age, and I have to do this with my children, I watch myself having, like, trying to unwire the thing that happened to me, which is this idea that if you are a good boy or girl, mommy and daddy will gift you with time, love, attention, Mm. toys, candy, cake, X, right? Mm. If you don't listen, mommy and daddy will take that away. Right. So we're just we're it's so early. Then you go to church and you go to school when everything's set up in this way where you have to create almost a false self. Mm -hmm. And and then and then when when we fall short, there's this deep level of shame because we we're we're sort of born into the system. And I know that there's. There are benefits to that. Right. There's there is there is a biological imperative to make sure your kid doesn't run out in the street or be eaten by a saber tooth tiger. And I think we've taken it a little too far. And so now the work for us as parents um, and reparenting ourselves is to notice when that mode and conversation is leading, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, my biggest thing with my wife, and that's my work, my work, (laughs) my lifetime dharma is with my wife. Mm -hmm. And I constantly am like, P, bring the adult back in the room, bring the Mm. adult back in the room because Mm. that little adaptive child is raging and he feels all the shame and I want her to feel it too, or I want to disconnect from her so that she feels it as well. And I know that it's all of that programming showing up in an argument. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just like sitting with that for a moment. Um, You know, I don't... I'm like, okay, which which direction to go with my question? I said a lot. I said a lot. I know. I'm <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know if it was you. You've put me on to a couple of books recently. I think you might have been talking about the Celestine Prophecy. Have you read that book? Was that you that put I me have. on to that? Okay. I so have. I think it might have been you talking about it that put me on to it. But I'm really obsessed with the way in that book they talk about how we are... Um, in our relationships, in conflict, trying to like take energy from one another, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're in this battle for energy constantly. And I I do primarily a lot of work with couples and, you know, I'm just... I, I see play out exactly what you're talking about so often, right? It's like my inner child is attempting to get energy from this other person. They're yeah. not giving me their energy in the way that feels filling to me. And so I'm yeah. making up a story about that and I'm angry, right? And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like there's so, like you had this podcast episode Go and listen to um, Preston's podcast and hear this if you are interested, but it's called Why He Won't Open Up to You. I remember that episode. And there were just like so many things about how I feel like there's this unspoken war of the sexes happening that nobody's talking about. And you articulated things that I had never heard someone speak to, like the way that we as women are taught by our mothers who were really attempting to get us to embrace feminism. Mm -hmm. Don't ever trust a man. Like Mm -hmm. how many of Mm -hmm. us heard that from our mothers? And 
um, that men often feel like they can't let down their guard or be present in a room when there's women. And Mm -hmm. then we're trying to be in relationship with one another and it's not working because we've been taught to be um, with each other a Mm -hmm. little bit. So I'd love to hear you speak about that a little more because it kind of blew my mind. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's really, you're, you're so right that that is this unspoken, like just underground thing that's occurring. And I watch it in my own relationship. I watch it in friends and clients. I watch it in Instagram memes and what's popular and what's not. It's like, it's an entire world. And you know, I'm not going to talk about this, but I just want to compare it. It's like racism, right? It's like, where the hell do you even start? Mm -hmm. There's so many layers to it, Mm -hmm. right? There's so much wounding, so much pain from both the sides. Yes. That the question is, is where do you start? And so um, for me, I think that the biggest work any of us could do is at home at home in the self and at home with anybody who's really, really close to us, because that's where all the nuances get revealed. Right. And we get, that's where the, 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 the most of the juice gets boiled up. Right. I can stay distant from people on social media and acquaintances, et cetera, et cetera. But the people who are closest to us hold the most juice. And, you know, I was doing a podcast the other day for, uh, it was like an all men's podcast. And I, I said on there, I was speaking to pregnancy, um, and, and how, I said, fellas, um, I know you're a ticking time bomb, right? I know that you, you're trying to be a good boy. I know why um, No More Mr. Nice Guy is one of the best-selling books. And I know that there's a part of you that is doing more than your dad, his dad, and his dad ever did, and you're not getting the credit for it. And I know there's another part of you that's blaming your wife for not telling you you're sexy, not fucking you, not X, Y, and Z. All of that stuff is coming up. And I just want you to know that she's doing the best she can. She's in an, an, an immense uh, identity shift. And her she's more than likely you know, coming out of ripping her vagina or, or her, you know, a major surgery. And she can't even think about you, right? Mm-hmm. And the trickle down from that, because I don't know if you guys know this, but like 67% of married couples go through divorce during the first year of pregnancy, right? Like yep. it is almost guaranteed that you're yep. going to have like, everybody gets screwed with this, right? And we've done it three times now. Um, and every single time we're like, oh my God, should we yeah. break up? And we're like, no, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's sometimes Alexi and I laugh. We're like, yo, God, God was tripping. Like, Mm. why would it set up this scenario that makes it so challenging to be together? And then you add in all the other programming, right? Women are expected to do a hundred times more Mm. than they did in, you know, 1950. Right. And so, so there's pressure on both sides and there is, I don't have the answer yet. I think that the the greatest answer will be found in just airing it out because every single person I talk to and all everybody who gets pregnant who are close to us are like, hey, we're pregnant. What do we do? I'm like, Mm. you guys are going to fight. All your shit's going to come up. You're going to hate each other. You're going to not like his smell. You're going to he's going to smell a certain way. and You're going to be like, I wouldn't. Am I should I even have babies with you? Right. Like there's (laughs) (laughs) there's so much. I'll stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're right in saying that there's power in naming it because we are all collectively having the same experience. But I also Mm -hmm. think that we were not actually designed to do this in these small nuclear containers where women don't have support of other women and men don't have emotional intimacy with other men and outlets for what they're experiencing at a really isolating time as well, which is very often not spoken to. And so I think we're understanding more that we need a village of people around us to try to do something what we're not, which we're not meant to do alone. Right. Boom. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I also, you know, this idea of, and I've heard you say something too about like when you, this idea of like, when you find the one, like that's when the work begins. So I'm kind of hearing you talk about it when you talk about your wife, you know, I had a, I had a friend tell me when I got pregnant, 
the first two years after that baby will be the hardest two years on your relationship. And if you can make it through that first two years, you have a pretty decent shot, right? I mean, not guaranteed, but you get a pretty decent shot. And we're at two and a half and it has gotten easier and it has gotten harder in other ways, right? Because I do believe we've I don't want to say gotten over the first two years or whatever that kind of struggle was when integrating a third human into this kind of dynamic, right? But what I see happening, and I'm I'm starting to see this in clients as well, is like you said, women are going through this huge shift, which is not just like post-birth, like becoming a mother and like what that looks like, right? But it's this shift that we're seeing culturally, which obviously men are going through a shift too, but so much of the shift I'm seeing with women is essentially reclaiming, like, I am not going to play all of these roles. I am not going to mother my child and mother you anymore. Right. And I'm, I'm seeing a huge shift in like, um, a pushback, I think from, from the men in their lives. Um, because it's, it's a little bit of an unspoken guarantee that I am supposed to be nurtured and mothered by this woman in my life. And so many women like myself included, I think are going through this experience of like anger, Right. Mm-hmm. Anger at the system, anger at the partner, anger at yes. my my parental unit who raised me to believe this was OK, where I'm I'm almost finding myself adolescent, like where I'm like, no, I am not doing this anymore. Um, I'm not going to play mom to everybody. And the reason why this even just came up is because I had a girlfriend in town visiting who I've known for 10 years. And so I haven't seen her in years. And so she was with us and she was kind of watching all these dynamics. Mm-hmm. And she said to me yesterday before she left, she goes one and you know, we're close. So she can give me this kind of like very straightforward feedback. She said, I want to tell you that you're doing too much. And she Mm. said, and it's not just in your relationship with your partner, it's in your relationship with your friends. Mm. Mm. She said, you don't ask for help enough. And she said, and nobody offers. And the reason they don't offer is because you have programmed them not to. That, that church. You know, Mm -hmm. like, and, and she said, she's like, you have people around you that love you. She's like, but there is an expectation that you have been part of establishing that nobody needs to do anything for you and that you will handle it all. And she's like, and you're part of that. And I was like, okay, thank you. You're right. And I, I will take it in. And I, I guess that's just coming up for me because I hear you, I hear Mm -hmm. you (laughs) in part of that conversation, right. And some of the things you were talking about. Yeah. Yes. You are not wrong about any of that. It's such an interesting dynamic. Um, because going back to it, this is where I'll say, here's where the challenge is because men are confused. Yes. They're like, yo, so you want this traditional man who provides and is X, Y, and Z, but you don't want to relinquish any of, or you don't want to play any of that role. Right? So we're done. We're done with the patriarchy in this way, Mm. but keep it fucking going over here. Yeah. Right. And so men are having this experience. We're like, wait, wait a minute. You're screaming about chivalry and X, Y, and Z, and men are supposed to, right? There's this unconscious mm-hmm. men are supposed to, right? And when we do or try, one, you don't want to relinquish that power, right? Because there's this subconscious, like, never trust a man energy that's been in the space since seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Yeah. Um, And then, you know, you have your own money, your own career, your own X, your own Y, right? I'll tell you this. When dudes come to me on the side, I hear this so often that somebody's going to laugh even here, like listening to this, especially in the early stages of having a baby. I don't know if I've talked to one single guy that hasn't said, bro, if I had breast, I would breastfeed. I promise I would. Like I would take, I'm trying to take everything off of her, right? But it's like she's mad at me because of her biology and like, mm-hmm. you know, what am I supposed to do? Right. I have a friend who I won't say their names, but they're two. They're a popular couple on Instagram and all the things. And he sat in my living room and I said, you have to lead this relationship. Mm-hmm. One, she's not in her right mind right now because she's in mom survival brain. Right. She's asking him on one hand, hey, I need you to step up. I need you to provide. I need you to, you know, because I'm Instagram influencer who makes a bunch of money, but I want to just be a mom right now. That's Mm -hmm. what she's saying to him. And then in the same breath, she's saying, you basically have an hour every day. The rest of the time, you better be right next to me. And she's scared. And that's what I told him. I said, she's so scared, bro. She doesn't, she's just like, we created this baby. So we better be right here. 
while I'm breastfeeding, you better be right there. And he's like, I feel handcuffed. Mm-hmm. It's like on one hand, you're asking me to perform and to do the thing. But the moment I leave, you get mad at me, right? He has one hour a week to go do this thing called Fight Club with me. And she gets so hurt by it because she's like, how dare you smile? How dare you be happy right now when I'm completely destroyed and drained? And it's not fair. It's genuinely not fair. I I literally can see both sides. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I I caution for when, when the women come to me is like, don't push him away. Don't push him away. I know you don't want to do that, but this is how you end up doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's just a tricky scenario. And you're right as far as um, I'm sure you've read that book, Fair Play, or heard about it. Um, We had uh, John's podcast, actually. We we interviewed her. She's really brilliant. Yes. So that has created a lot of arguments as well, including in my household, right? Like there's so much there. And, you know, truth be told, it, it wasn't fair Mm -hmm. right in in that particular way Mm -hmm. and but then there's all these other ways that that don't get seen right so Mm -hmm. so then we do the counting game and once we start counting in our relationship that's just underlying resentment right i've seen myself be like this is the 150th time i've washed the dishes in one single day this is the 88th diaper i've changed and yet in your mind I'm, I'm just sitting on the couch, just flipping through X, Y, and Z. I have zero time. I do my work in between stuff. Yes. And yet, right, there's this, this idea that it's, you know, you get it. I'm going to stop yeah, there. Yeah. This is such a loaded conversation that could go on for, for like a month. Seriously. <laughs> well, I love it. And, you know, what I took away from Fair Play, and I think I have sort of been um, – I've had the gift of being one of those people who the first couple years of having a child did actually end my relationship. And so mm-hmm. on the outside of that, I have had the perspective of some of the things I think um, watching couples and like, you know, unpacking what the dynamic was between me mm-hmm. and my ex that I can see now clearly that I couldn't see within it is I think from fair play, what I've come to understand is a lot more dividing and conquering needs to happen Mm. versus actually that enmeshed, like we're supposed to be together all the time, figuring out how to do this. I think each person needs a little bit more space to be human and to not, um, to not be just in their role as parent. And what I see, and I'm going to talk to us as women, like Mm -hmm. my sisters, because I've been there and I've done this. You you really um, need to do a little bit of self-reflecting. I have found I needed to do a little self-reflecting of where I was letting the perfect be the enemy of the good enough. And my way of doing it needed to be the way that it was done. And like, yes, I want you to do this, but I'm going to stand behind you and micromanage the way you do it and tell you why you're not doing it the way that I would do it. And I know because I'm the mother and you don't. And that's actually not what that does is shut the other person down and say, well, you're going to just like pick apart the way I do it anyway. So I'm not even going to try. Well, it also puts them in that childlike role, right? So now this is going back to what my girlfriend was saying. She point blank said to me, your role in this too, is that I get it. She's like, I want it to be done a certain way. And so if I let somebody else do it, it's not going to be right. She's like, I know that that's how you are. She's like, I'm like that too, but I'm saying I'm watching it. I'm witnessing it. And so I see it showing up, I think to her point in a lot of our relationships, you know, not even just in like the, the romantic relationships. I think some of us get into these roles where it's like very maternal, very childlike, very, and, Mm -hmm. and, and to your point, Danae, it's like, that's not actually well, first of all, it's not breeding closeness. You're not actually uh, allowing the other person to share in the experience with you. You're micromanaging. You're still the manager. Mm-hmm. You're still the parent mm-hmm. in that dynamic. And that's that's actually creating more work, not less work, right? Yep, yep. Let me jump in on this because I here's what's interesting. And thank you both for bringing this all to the table. This is a very important conversation. Um, I don't know if we have healthy models. Right. I would agree. Like, I think everybody's just making it up and figuring out and we're playing husband and playing wife and playing mm-hmm. wife, um, mother and playing father. And yes. we're doing it the way we think we're supposed to be doing it. And the permission slip that we all get to give each other. And you're so right. We have to play team, right? Alexi and I are closer than we've ever been. And a year ago, we were on the brink of divorce, right? Um, seven months ago, right? It was hell on wheels. 
And we are the closest we've ever been. And one of the biggest catalysts or pieces that we've been implementing is truly, truly, truly um, guarding each other's nervous systems, mm -hmm. right? Like understanding exactly. We did a workshop with Annie Lala uh, a couple days ago, uh, a week ago. And she, she had us do this thing, which I suggest everyone in a relationship do. It's already worked. I've already done it. So she had us sit with our partners and, and we talked about what happens. What, do you, what does each partner desire the most when we are going through conflict, right? Mm. It's called the algorithm, right? So I wrote in my phone, and I have it here, Alexi's algorithm. And we went step by step, right? Do you want me to step closer? Do you want me to back up? What do you want, right? So she was like, I want you to calm your energy, calm your breath, right? I want you to look me in the eyes. I want you to tell me, I love you. I'm sorry this is happening. I want to understand you, mm -hmm. right? Each step, she wanted me to put my arms around her lower back, right? And have a firm sort of like hold on her, breathing into the bottom of my belly. It was a whole thing. And maybe three days later, we got into something and I literally walked over to my phone and I went, okay. And the, the partner that's most regulated, it's their job to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have just a little more capacity than, than your partner, it's your job. She has my algorithm in her phone as well. And so I went to her and I did the thing and it worked. It worked mm -hmm. like magic. And I think that coupled with the Gottman's work around solvable versus perpetual. Mm -hmm. I think not enough people understand that some things in your partnership are going to be perpetual. There yeah. is, it's just going to come up. You're, you're going to be oil and water on this particular thing. And the moment you accept it, right, and you're like, oh yeah, that's just a part of our dynamic. It stops being, it stops having so much uh, resistance in it. And her and I have been in that. I have admitted to her that a good portion of our relationship, I was withholding me hmm. out of a fear that she would leave me, right? And this is an old pattern. I did that in childhood, right? I tried to make myself the most useful, good little boy ever, now good little husband that would do everything, super husband. Hmm. And, you know, the nature of human and especially the nature of of the feminine within all of us and, and, and those in feminine bodies is never satisfied, right? There'll be new content, new things. And so I was playing this game where I was like, if I could just get it down to here, then she'll say X or then I'll be Y. And every time I would, you know, do the whole list, she'd be like, but that. And I'm hmm. like, no, nah! you know, <laughs> feel like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it was so hard, and now you know we we argue more, but we're closer than ever, and the polarity oh, wow. is crazy. We always have like sexual tension and all that stuff, but it is off the charts now because I'm no longer willing to hide and withhold myself out of a fear that she's going to pull back. Right, mm -hmm. so now it's just like, what is my truth? My truth is this, and you deserve to feel good. I deserve to feel good. Mm -hmm. This doesn't feel good. How do we make it feel good, right? And so my part matters. Let me tell you this, men do this a lot. Men are afraid of their women, period. You could ask a hundred dudes, are you afraid, like truly, are you afraid of your wife, girlfriend, partner? I guarantee you 99 of them would be like, if I'm really honest with myself, yes. Like I'm, I'm like tiptoeing around the house, like, you know, trying to make sure that I don't tip her off and X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I've been doing oh. this work a long time. I just had yeah, such an official no. reaction to that, like, ew, in my body as a woman, like, oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's so I mean, tough. I think that's why that podcast where you were talking about why he won't up, open up to you was so profound for me, because you were talking about, you know, when a woman is in the space of like wanting to connect and wanting to feel safe and seen, sometimes the way that will show up is I saw you look at so-and-so's, you know, like somebody's photo on Instagram. And instead of going to your partner and it takes some moment of pause and understanding what's happening for you on a nervous system level. And this is some of our own yes. 
personal responsibility around that, but saying to your partner, I am feeling insecure. I am feeling mm-hmm. like I want to feel safe and connected to you. What we will say as women is what kind of man are you that you would like, is this the kind of woman you want? And if that's true, yeah. then F you. But what we don't think about is what that feels like for that human, like yeah. the human mm-hmm. next to you, like what is happening? And Shame. I was like, God, I've mm-hmm. never thought about that in my partnerships. And it's so real. And so much of this is what was modeled for us in that mm-hmm. lack of trust. Don't trust yeah. a man. He's out there in these streets doing something, right? Mm-hmm. And that what you sort of brought into my awareness was, and that is the men feeling like you don't have the capacity to hold my vulnerability, to hold me in a way that is safe for me. And nobody's, I feel like we just don't have that awareness of one another. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Truth. Yeah. Truth. There's, there's so much to that. Vanessa, go ahead. I see you guys. That's yeah, no, I just, I was thinking what you were saying, Danae, and what was coming up was whether it's, so I'm the opposite, whereas like, I'm like, I mean, and I've got my own shit to unpack around this, but like the least jealous human, like on the planet. And I'm like, please be my guest. Like all of the Instagram models that literally could phase me less. Um, but <laughs> like people are always like, really? I'm like, no, really, I, I really don't care. Um, but for me, what I'm thinking is about how, the idea of your partner not opening up to you. We recently had something where he said to me, um, you know, you've never told me that you actually want me to be here on the other side. And so for me, it's less about like, oh, worrying about like what I learned growing up, right? was less about you can't trust a man because they're out there in the streets. It was more about like, just do it yourself. Like they're, they're, um, they're not going to be here on the other side. So don't bother expecting it or trusting it that they will. So less yep. about the trust of them um, necessarily with like with somebody else and more about the like, at the end of the day, they're not going to stick around uh, physically. Yep. So don't even attempt to, to try. And, you know, and so I, I recognized in that statement to me when he said that, I was like, oh my God, you're right. I've actually never looked you in the eyes and said to you, I mm-hmm. want you to be here. I want you to stay. And that right there goes back to exactly what you both are saying about this idea of like why men don't open up. It's a similar idea of trust. It's like, I've never Mm -hmm. looked at him and said like, I need you. I want you. And so he doesn't feel, I guess, trusting of me that I have the capacity to hold that vulnerability either. So deep, so deep. And, and let me just reiterate this to, to every woman listening. If you don't tell your man he's sexy, he's awesome, he's powerful, thank you for choosing me, thank you for showing up for our family in whatever capacity he currently can, Mm. no one else is, literally no one. That's not how dudes talk to each other. Even the most conscious dudes aren't like rubbing through each other's hair going, oh my God, you're so sweet. Like you, it does not happen. So if you don't, he is deprived. It is done, right? So this man goes from, this little boy goes from a household and a mother, let's say that was doing that, to then by the time of 15, 16, 17, 18, all the way to 34 or whenever he meets you, not receiving it. And then in his mind is like, oh, when you meet your one, that's when, you know, it'll be sort of like how, yeah, you're going to get that love. And then instead you get this, uh, this wall of insecurity that's masked as confidence. And um, I was in a room the other day, hmm. there's a bunch of dudes and, and the, 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 the subject was toxic femininity. And they were, they were talking about how scary it is, right? That do, nobody will say anything on, these, on the internet, but in these private rooms, these dudes are like, yo, they're fucking out of pocket. And like, how do we, how do we handle this? And I'm like, yo, you gotta say something. I'm like, yeah. yo, we, we have to say something, but mm-hmm. like actually, right? And, and not from like blame, like, oh, you're right, X, right. Y, and Z. But it's the idea that everyone's ex-boyfriend is a narcissist, right? Like yeah. there is everyone, every everyone. single hu- ex-husband, ex-boyfriend, all narcissists. <laughs> Don't even get somehow me started. Just, oh my God, it kills yeah. me. I'm like, yeah. two crazy people. If there's one, there's two. So. Yep. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think there's just something so powerful in there's this wounded masculine armor that I have seen that we as women have really been conditioned to wear. And I think that's a little bit what what you were speaking to with the, um, the feminine is never 
um, satisfied, satisfied, right? So that to me is mm-hmm. like our souls, which is like the feminine aspect in all of mm-hmm. us came here for expansion, came here to continue to desire more and expand more and experience more. But all of us are so conditioned to reject our own feminine that we feel contempt for ourselves, for wanting more, for wanting more connection, for wanting deeper intimacy. So it's like we're shaming ourselves for something that we are so innately wired to long for from one another that it's just like this armor. Like we can't even penetrate and can't even get near each other because we're just so walled off. But Um, that took my breath away with what you said about, he's not getting it anywhere else. You know, we're so as women, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to speak for myself and not all women, but I know I'm not alone in this, that like, I was so conditioned to see that as weakness, you know, Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. to hold a man tenderly and, um, and rub my fingers through his hair. Like you're speaking to that. I just, I was so ill-equipped to know how to do that. You know, I was Mm -hmm. so armored up against it. And I think, um, yeah, oof. (laughs) <laughs> Danae, though, I want to hear your thoughts on, and, and obviously Preston too, like, so what is the line, I suppose, and this is genuinely just a personal question. I'm using you both as my therapy, <laughs> my therapist slash coaches. What is the personal, what is the line between providing that to your partner um, because it's important and it's a necessary need that we have as humans, especially the masculine? And then where does it slip into mothering? Which then in, at least in me, and again, I'll speak for myself, but I know I'm not alone in this, that creates that rage that I talked about a little while ago around like, I will not do this anymore. I will not mother more than the one in front of me that I have to actually mother, right? Um, And so I'm curious, like, what is that? Do we even know the answer to that? Like, where does that tip? Well, my thought, and I want to hear what Preston thinks about this, but I believe it's genuine trust. That was what I remember like shortly after my marriage ended (laughs) sitting with my therapist and her asking me like, how many men have you actually trusted in your life? And like waterworks, like why am I crying so big? Why is like the emotional reaction? And it's because I have had so many unbelievably beautiful, trustworthy men in my life, your partner included me, but, um, but I was just, I was not able to feel that and convey that to a man. And that to me is the difference. Like mm. we mother someone we don't trust and we don't like believe in their resilience and their capabilities. And I just felt that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, what do you think, Preston? For me, that has been the like shift. I oh. won't be with a man if I don't really trust and believe in him again. And not, and, mm. and listen, I, in case my ex-partner is listening, I should have and was not able to, but I think I was so walled off against that, that like, I have to genuinely believe in who this man is yes. and convey that I trust him or why am I with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oof. There is some heat in what you just shared, right? We mother those who we don't trust, right? Cause that's what you, you know, with your kids, you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, turn on the stove. No, I will turn on the stove. Cause I don't trust that you can do it without burning yourself. Right. So there's yes. a lot to that in the book, um, healing the shame that binds you. Mm-hmm. Um, they speak about, um, the, the the screw up and the perfectionist mm-hmm. being the same, right? Having the same yeah. uh, core wound, but different tactic to get that mm-hmm. need met. And I think it's important to, hmm, All right, I'm gonna jump around in here a little bit. So let me just start with, there's four aspects of trust, right? Sincerity care, reliability, and competency, right? I'm going to say it again, four aspects of trust. Sincerity, right? If we don't have that one, we have the the rest of them don't matter. Mm -hmm. So we have to believe that the person is sincerely there, even if they're screwing up, they're screwing up from sincerity. They don't have any ill intentions under it, right? Um, Number two is, does this person care about me or whatever we're pointing this trust at, right? Number three is uh, reliability, right? Like with my dad, he was sincere, he cared, but I couldn't rely on him mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, right? Um, number four is um, competency, right? Does this person have this the the actual skill set and understanding to even hold this, right? And this is what I went back to with a lot of men don't actually trust their wives because they don't believe that the women have the competency to hold them. Right. They think they know that they're sincere. They know they care. They know they're reliable. Right. But there's another piece where we're like, no, you're going to blame me for everything. 
So I don't think you actually have the competency, which is another way of it's fathering at some level, right? Mm. The fathering version of mothering is I won't even bring it to you because you can't hold it, right? Mm. Um, so I'll just let this die inside of me and create dis-ease and die before my wife, right? Which is statistically what we know occurs, right? Stress kills. And so if there's no outlet, right? Uh, a body of water without an inlet and outlet is a swamp. Right. The, the 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 fruit doesn't belong to the tree. It belongs to the ecosystem. So our job is to continuously give back to the ecosystem. But men are stuck in that flow because they're afraid that their partners can't hold competency, their hearts. Mm -hmm. Right. Which then in turn, it's like tennis. Right. You hit that over. And then the woman is trying to decode this little miniature wall. Right? There's just something in between. Like, I know you, I love you. We went to Burning Man, we did the thing, we we got married, but like there's still not like I don't know you. Right. Yes. And and then that turns into like, I'll do more, I'll be more useful because this is what wife girlfriend does. Right. Now we're in gender roles and there's resentment on both sides just meeting each other in this space. And so we play out these family scripts, right? We played them in, in our actual family, right? I was the dumb one, the black sheep dumb one, and my sister was the smart one, and my dad was the fuck up, so there was no space for me to be the fuck up. My mom was the responsible one who had every job in the world and X, Y, and Z, and we played out these family scripts, and then we leave our families and go to a new family and play it out all over again. Mm -hmm. Unless, right? Unless we step in and start to... Um, look at ourselves with the eye behind the eye mm -hmm. when we start to slow down to the speed of wisdom and actually be here now and notice right i i don't know if you've ever been so high that you're like there's nothing to say nothing mm -hmm. to do and nowhere to go like i've been blasted mm -hmm. on actual drugs and also <laughs> just like I'm meditation like, or whatever yep. <laughs> yes on all of it right and i've had that moment where i'm like oh my god just be like yeah. for real. Um, so I know I said a lot in there, but all of that to that. Mm. I feel like I often <laughs> need a moment to drink in what you mm -hmm. just said. So many. Oh. I'm also laughing at myself because I'm thinking about, I used to always talk about, I hated being high because it made me feel stupid. So I wouldn't talk, but now I'm actually reframing it in my mind going, was that what it was? Or were you actually just going mm -hmm. at the speed of wisdom and you, Yes. <laughs> there was nothing to yes. say or do. And so now I'm like, Correct. huh, a lot of my highs seem different now. <laughs> for real, right? Sidebar. <laughs> oh, but like, can I, can I psychoanalyze you just for a moment? You Please. can do the same to me. <laughs> right? So usually people like us use our intellects to gain significance and importance, right? So talking and having control, right, is a way that we keep the significance. Right. If I'm incapacitated in such a way that I cannot do the thing. People ask me all the time when I when I used to. I used to, mm. there was a time when I did two ayahuasca ceremonies a month for an entire year. Right? This is like 2013. Um and and everything else, right? Not everything else, but the point is is like people would often ask me when I would go into those journeys. Right now I do it maybe three times a year, right? But when I would go into those journeys, I would take more than everybody else. And they'd be like, why are you doing that? Because like, I don't want Preston to be here. Because mm. that, that dude has a personality and he's going to try to control this whole thing. I am tapping into my higher self, right? Body, mind, soul. I'm asking the soul, the higher self, the ancestors, the spirit guides to come through and speak through me. Use me now, right? To me, by me, through me, as me. Four levels mm -hmm. of consciousness. Mm -hmm. To me, by me, through me as me. I'm literally, when I go into those states, even today, right? I'm saying, spirit, use me, right? Let me get out of my own way and be a beacon, a light, a vessel for something greater than myself. There are people suffering every single day. I know that feeling. I lived it to the point of almost death, right? So I know what it feels like to be like, what do I do with this, right? And so it's my job, your job, all of us to, we know the strength in, 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 a, in our right hand, right? Like if I threw this bottle mm -hmm. to you right now, Vanessa, which hand would you catch it with if I threw it to you? My right hand. Correct, right? Because mm -hmm. it's practiced, mm -hmm. right? 
when we go into ceremony, whether it's breathwork, meditation, or walking, whatever we, whatever you do, mm-hmm. or plant medicine, the point is to start catching with the left hand, right? Mm-hmm. That's the game for me. I'm instantly like, this hand I already know. I can get to this in a second, right? I use this to manipulate the world and find a way to, to um, bypass the part of me that I thought was stupid, right? My listening became crazy because of dyslexia, yeah. right? I became linguistically, I can speak so well because of dyslexia, right? And now I'm like, ah, oh, let's flip this back over here. Man, but I'm thinking about my 16-year-old like skunk pot days. <laughs> I'm thinking like, shit, that's what was going on, but I just didn't have the wherewithal to know it. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, ayahuasca is a whole nother level, but <laughs> mm, oh, it is. I, I appreciate you. Yeah, I love that so much. You know, I'm thinking about what do you talk about? The like our inferior, um, the inferior, yeah, the superior function, right? The Jungian concept around those the four quadrants, right? And and really making sure that we don't always live in the superior functions. The the part part of our individuation journey and our work is actually to lean into, and Mm -hmm. I mean. Increase the capacity, I suppose, but basically strengthen what would be those inferior functions, which is a little bit of a left brain way to talk about it. But but it really is like living into those inferior functions more. Yeah, I'm obsessed with these polarities. It's like I'm so much I'm writing a book about it. And I think there's something in our outside in and I'm using your analogy here, Preston, but you talk a lot about like an outside in game versus an inside out game. And I think that so much of what we are learning to strengthen within ourselves is this inside out game, which is our feminine, right? Like I go to myself, I go to my inner authority, my intuition first, and then like, you know, put that energy out. Whereas so much of how we have been conditioned to experience ourselves is like through the exterior first, Mm -hmm. which is like the more patriarchal, you know, wounded, Mm -hmm. maybe masculine um, framework. But yeah, I think... That's really powerful. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. I literally uh, today went to um, grab some breakfast and do some reading. And I just got like my dream car. Right. And um, I pulled up to this cafe in Austin and I noticed myself wanting to be noticed. Mm. And it was such an interesting. I was like, ah, it's still there. Like still there. Right. So So then I was like, breathe that's okay too it can be here right and now we brought awareness right awareness proceeds choice we can't intervene in a world we can't see in that moment i instantly could see myself which means i can intervene right so i gave myself credit i celebrated instead of beating myself up for the ego trick or wound of wanting to be seen in my nice car right to me that like the the biggest work gets done in those little in-between moments because anybody could go to a workshop or a, a you know a plant medicine ceremony or whatever or and and be like I'm changed forever mm-hmm. right but there's a big difference between change and transformation and transformation occurs in moments um, and um, you know I can I can change something and then when the circumstances switch up then I go right back to the thing transformation uh, is What's required transformation is a inner vigilance um, until it becomes a new normal, right? So Mm -hmm. I've created a new baseline from which I live. Doesn't mean I don't have my faults, but like, you know, I've said this before, when, when, when dudes, especially with their jets and their money and all that stuff come into my space, they're like, why are you bigger than me? Like, Mm -hmm. I have way more than you. And it's the thing of like, it's because I love myself. I do. I like Mm -hmm. genuinely do. And I love humans, right? And I love us. And so it's, it jars them at first. It, you know, it's usually two different things. It's either I don't want to be around you or like, what the fuck are you on and how can I get some, right? And so I think that's our job, right? That's your job. That's your job. That's my job. That's with, right. with those with ears to hear and hearts, you know, to, to tune into, we're supposed to lead the way, fly our freak flags as high as possible and say, over here, guys, over here. That's right. Mm. Uh. <laughs> oh my gosh i feel like we could just like listen to you go on and on forever. yeah um but we want to be mindful of time so we have a lightning round of questions that we ask all of our guests so 
the first question, Preston, is who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, um, people either that you've known or you've really admired their work that have impacted your journey? Um, first things first, my wife, because I just find so much juice in it. Um, second would be my kids. Third would be nature. Fourth would be Michael Beckwith uh, from Agape International. Um, fifth would be Conversations with God. That book I read, the first one, I read that over 150 times Thank slowly you for that by the way it's game changer yeah. right like yep. you put me onto it and whew, yeah thank yes you. yeah there's there's there are certain books I, don't, I have a million of them but there are certain books that i literally just go back to mm. like over and over and over again and that's one of them um and then the last one would be humanity i am so blown away by us um and and how interesting and sweet we are and like you know I, I do think that most people have positive intent and they just didn't get the conscious mom or dad that they desired and, and therefore are acting out of that wound. Yeah. I love. So this idea of flow, right? Like what is that for you where you kind of can blink your eyes and you know, an entire day goes by. Mm, yeah. It's saying yes to your yes. Right. Like I, I challenge anybody listening to this to, to play that game. Just decide that for two hours, you're going to say yes to whatever is truly a yes for you. Even if your yes is a no. Right. It's like, nope. Right. That's a that's a clear sign. Nope. Right. Normally I would do that, but it's a no right now. Right. When it comes to mothering your husband and your child. Right. If, if in an hour from now, it's like, hey, babe, can you get the X? And you're like, nope. Right. That's that is Playing in that space creates flow for me, um, including this, right? Like I don't, you, I'm, I don't script any of the things that I do. It, the podcast you're speaking about, I literally just have a title. I just have a, like a few words and I'm like, let's go, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's me saying yes to what's present, right? I get in these rooms and I hear some stuff and I'm like, oh, let me sit with this. And then I, let's go hit record. Let's see mm -hmm. what happens, right? Mm -hmm. So that. Beautiful. And what breaks your heart? Mm. Mm. It's going to come back to my wife. Whenever I am not able to show up for her in her most vulnerable moments, it breaks my heart. Mm. Um, it, it's because she's, she's done so much and she shows up so much for me and my family. And she's believed in me when I was not, you know, showing up fully in my power. It looked like it. Right on the surface, it looked like it to social media, but there were so many other layers that I was not standing in, and she still stood by my side. And so, when I can't return that favor fast enough, it hurts me so hard. All right, Preston, last question What is your favorite food? Mm. <laughs> There's a spot in LA, you guys should go there because I haven't been in a while called Cafe Brazil. It's like a little um, little hole in the wall on Venice Boulevard in the like West LA section. That everything in there is amazing. So it's Brazilian food, but this it's clean and it's a little tiny spot. It's popular, but it's small and like that. All right. Added to list. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> My ever growing list. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Well, Preston, I am really grateful to have this opportunity to say thank you to you. I feel like you are such a tremendous gift to humanity. Truly, I feel like I have been so supported and challenged in some really beautiful ways um, by things that you've said and ways, you know, your perspective on things. And I know I'm far from alone in that. So I just really appreciate the way that you are showing up and allowing yourself to be used and of service in the way that you are. It's... Um, it's really, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to say thank you to you because I've, I've really been um, supported and expanded through your content and who you are. That means a lot. Thank you so much. And, and truly also just, I want to air high five both of you <laughs> for saying, saying yes to this. Um, Cause you know, you'll never see the end of your giving, right? It takes one thing, one idea to spark something that goes off for, hundreds of thousands of years like you and you're doing that often right you're showing up often there was something uh, i saw something of vanessa's and i was like what 
right? I say no to literally if 20 people ask me to go on a podcast, I say no, I say no to 18 of them, <laughs> like literally. But I saw something of her randomly online and I was like, she gets it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comment on that. Like I'm going to go out of my way, right? And so that's the power. You never know, right? You never know who you're touching and, and how far it's going to go. And so thank you both for for stepping up stepping in and being willing to be bigger than your external circumstances because that's actually genuinely what's happening right there's a lot of circumstances that would have this not happen but you keep saying yes and it keeps blessing other people and in turn blessing you it's big thank you thank you for that (laughs) i usually like to need you the words of affirmation because i'm not good at them but then i just feel like i got that in return and that was so nice (laughs) Mm -hmm. appreciate you both it's true Well, thank you so much. Actually, you know, before we let you go, Preston, just for those who don't know, where can people find you and connect with you? Just let's just give our listeners. Yes. Um, At Preston Smiles on anything. um, PrestonSmiles.com. I have a workshop that we do all over the world. My wife and I call the bridge that's coming up in Austin in 2023 and in Australia, both in March. So uh, BridgeExperience.com, PrestonSmiles.com. Awesome. You can just find me. I'll be everywhere. We'll tag all that too in the show notes for everybody listening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast.